This is a Maskell. Some of your Bible notes may have that in there. Simply a Maskell is uh, it's a Hebrew word that means he who that instructs. So Psalms were meant to be instructive, uh, many of them anyway. And some of them, as you make your way through the Psalms, you'll see it's a, a title or an inscription, a Maskell of David or whatever. Uh, Psalm 32 is a good example. Psalm 42 we covered a few weeks back. Same idea. Um, but this is an interesting psalm because we don't really, really know who the author is. Now, uh, we're going to guess, as we often do, uh, and try to, by what's written, and then we look at Israel's history and we try to maybe pinpoint uh, when this was written and what was the backdrop that caused these verses to be penned. So, what we do know from Psalm 44 is here that it is a time of disaster. Things are not going well for the nation of Israel. And so we have it broken up into two sections essentially, verses 1 through 8 and then 9 through 26. And uh, what we see here is this lament, this almost as if the psalmist who is representing the nation, by the way, is angry with God. He's upset with God. Why is this happening in our lives and that kind of a thing? And so we're going to kind of work through these verses. I'm going to read through it because it's rich, but we don't have, we're not going to break it down too awfully much beyond that. I want to point out some of the strong things and then we'll have parallels between we're going to look back at a little of Israel's history and then some of the parallels uh, with what's probably going on to the church. When you think of Israel, the children of Israel, you know, if you've read through the Bible, you think, oh, how how cute. God calls them the children of Israel, you know. <laughs> when If you have your parent and you have children and you've raised them, you understand children. <laughs> and it's important as a believer that you see yourself as a child of God. We're not adults. We are his children. We think we're adults. We think we're mature. We think we know. But we really don't, right? And so it's a good perspective to have. So if you think of the children of Israel, think of the church of Jesus Christ. Believers, have this, all believers of all the ages have the same issues. We have a fallen nature, and we've got to deal with it. We've got to recognize it for what it is. And so it gets us into trouble. And how we handle that trouble is important. So the first eight verses sort of cover God's faithfulness. He's got a, a tremendous track record. We all know this in our own lives, right? He's got a good track record, wouldn't you say, with dealing with us, watching over us, not giving us what we deserve, his mercy, etc. And then we're going to look at, unfortunately, we have to look at the unfaithfulness and really the the attitude that, Israel actually feels like they've been forsaken. And that's not a good feeling. They feel like they've been abandoned. The closest thing I can come to abandonment, and I think about the children in this world, I think the pain and the suffering that every child deserves a good parent. Every child that's ever been born into this world deserves to be loved, and that was God's intention. And abandonment is one of the worst feelings that a human being, I think, can experience besides other ones. But that's, emotionally, that's got to be right up at the top. 
I remember when I was a little boy, back in the 60s, you didn't have seat belts. You just threw kids in the car and you just piled in and you went wherever you were going. And we were taking, apparently I was like probably about three or four, probably around four, I think. And now we went to the little village not too far from where we lived. We lived on a farm outside of town. And uh, we were taking the babysitter home, apparently, as, as I recollect. And so I'm sitting on her lap in the front seat. So we pull up beside her house, and she jumps out. And, of course, I have to get out so she can get out. And then she closed the door, and my mom just drove off. And I'm right there like, it's dark. You know, it's just just dusk, and it's turning, it's dark. And I'm like, hey, what? You know, in that little four-year-old mind, I'm running, I'm running after the car, right? It's like, and then I start realizing they're not stopping. And I'm, you know, I'm starting, I'm going to, you know, I'm crying right at that point. And so we only lived about, it was about three miles away and, and about halfway home. Where's Gregory? <gasps> I can't imagine the fright that must have entered my mom's mind and my sister's like, ah, he's, we left, he's, ah, you know. I don't really care what they were thinking. I know what I was thinking. It's like, you're not there. So I ran down to the end of this block, and then I realized they were gone, and, and then I turned around and started back towards the house, and by the time I got back there, they'd made the trek back and give me a big hug. <laughs> I've been abandoned. <laughs> but I just kind of, okay, so the point I'm trying to make with all that craziness essentially is, what if that would have continued the rest of my life? What if my mom never came back? What if I'd have been kidnapped and taken away? That is a horrible feeling. And when you, and, and we're going to see here, when you, a believer, is unfaithful to God, and they turn their back on God, and then the idea the enemy has is to turn our hearts away from God, to harden us and to begin to blame God for the difficulties that we begin to experience when all God has done. God hasn't moved. You, the person has moved. He has, he has turned his back. He has been unfaithful. And, he, and then in doing so, you, there's so many blessings that you forfeit because when you're close to the Lord, you're being obedient. You have his protection. You have his blessing. And when you forsake that, then then the enemy is allowed to come in and really wreak havoc, lie to you, deceive you, and cause you to harden your heart against God. So this is kind of the idea here. So we're going to look, I'm just going to read right through it and, and make a few comments along the way. Psalm 44. We've heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us, the deeds you did in their days, in days of old, you drove out the nations with your hand, but you plant them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, the light of your countenance, because you favored them. You are my king, O oh God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we will push down our enemies. Through your name, we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, 
nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have now put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Selah. Now I'd just like to stop right there. I like that psalm. Why couldn't you just stop right there, writer? No, but no. You've got to get to this other section. I just, I, I really, as I was reading this, like, man, maybe I'll just teach that first part. That's a lot better than the last. We don't like that part, other part, very well. <laughs> you ever do that when you're reading? It's like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> don't like that much, so much, right? That's <laughs> what we do. But you have cast us off. Actually, there are, there are some commentators and rabbis that believe that they would not use this psalm in worship because of they felt that the writer was angry with God, was sort of attacking God, had an attitude that was not acceptable. Now, you think about, and I can't really totally disagree with that argument. I mean, I could see that. You know, as we read through this, you'll catch it. And and just just to think for a moment, the high privilege that you and I have to be in the presence of God you know, and I'll hit on this Sunday coming here. You know, unless the Father had chose to reveal the Son to us, we would not know Jesus. Unless the Son had chosen to reveal the Father to us, we would not know the Father. We, we can we just sort of take it for granted that we have knowledge of God, that we know the One who created everything, the tr- One and True Living God. I mean. We, we should never underestimate the privilege we have of knowing God. That's really a, it's such an incredible thought, as you, and we should consider it so. So how we address him and how we conduct ourselves. Here's several times in my life, I sort of have an analytical nature to some degree anyway. And I remember the Spirit speaking to me. It's like your analysis is right. Your attitude stinks. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? That's, you don't want to hear that, but I've heard that. And I repent, you know, not in sackcloth and ashes, but I had to acknowledge, you know, um, you know what? You can see the truth and understand exactly what the situation is, but it doesn't give you a right to judge. It doesn't give you a right to hold people in judgment. And you just got to let God be the judge. Now, I explained this to a brother the other day who was sort of struggling with it. And I said, look, Think about this whole, and this is sort of a little detour here, sorry. Um, Michael the archangel and Satan got into an argument over the body of Moses. That tells us this in Jude. And think about Michael now. He's, he's, the, he's the top gun, right? He's like one of the top soldiers in the army. Nobody messes with Mike. He's the guy. And so Satan's, you know, trying to, you know, he wants for idolatrous purposes for whatever reason he wants to to take control of Moses's body after his death and the most powerful angel in the army of God how does he handle that situation you father of lies you scumbag you know all those little adjectives that you might have because we don't like the serpent we don't like the devil we don't like him and we just want to rail on him right well, in doing so, when we do that to the devil or anybody else, we become judges. This is one of the things you, you cannot miss through Scripture. The angels and all those who fear God 
always leave judgment to God. What does Michael say to Satan? The Lord rebuke you. Now, if the most powerful angel just has that kind of respect for the judgment of that, that's measured out, how much more me being a mortal man should I turn all judgment over to God? You know, and, and this is really being tested right now, honestly, with what's going on in our country and the, the lying thieves that are doing what they're doing in our country. And the anger, if you listen to any of what's going on, you can't help but be upset because inside the human soul, it cries out for justice and what's right. And this is so wrong. And you, you can't help but get angry. But then you have to learn to just like, you know what? God knows it all. God sees it all. He's aware of everything. Why hasn't he done anything yet? Where are you at with all this? Are you paying attention? I mean, you're going to see the parallels here. At least for me, it was easy to pull the parallels. And so you just like, okay, if God hasn't wiped the dish yet, which I'd like him to do real soon, like yesterday, then there's a reason for that. Maybe, maybe some of those people that I think should be taking a dirt nap shortly, maybe they're going to repent. Maybe they're going to turn. Maybe they're going to give, you know, realize the error of their way and get right with God. That's a possibility. But I don't have that in my mind when I'm thinking about them right now. I can tell you that. But the Lord says, you know, that's not your call, son. Analysis is right. Your attitude is wrong. Yes, sir. Please forgive me. That's what, but see, those are the kinds of conversations that you and I need to have with God. We don't just keep it all inside and pretend that we're something we're not. God can handle any conversation you can possibly lay at his feet. And he, and we, he actually encourages us to reason with him. Come now, saith the Lord, let us reason together. Talk, let's talk about this. Not clam up and hold it inside and, and just bear this grudge, but just let it out. Just disclose it all, because he knows it all. He knows all the secrets. We're going to see it. So let's read this. But you have cast us off, put us to shame, and you do not go with our armies. You make us turn back from the enemy, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. This is uh, Psalm 44, and now we're in verse 11. Psalm 44, verse 11. You have given us up like sheep intended for food, and scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for next to nothing, and you're not enriched by selling them. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn, a derision to those around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a shaking of the head among the peoples. My dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of of my face has covered me because the voice of him who reproaches and reviles because of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, but you have severely broken us in the place of the jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched our hands out to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, 
Do not cast us off forever. Do not hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. Tremendous emotions here. And I, I thought about this feeling of abandonment. You know, when when in Israel's history would they have felt this? Now, actually, they've probably felt it several times because these guys were, they'd get sideways pretty quick. But I, I, I think if David is the psalmist, let's just, and I just kind of went with this. Admit, like I said, we don't know who the writer is here. But I was thinking of a time in his lifetime that he would have been able to, to write some of these verses. Not not everyone necessarily fit, would fit that, but a lot of them seem to. Let's just think about, this would be First Samuel. It was that transitional, First Samuel was that transitional time when we went from judges, you know, there's a judge from each, there were 12 different judges, one from each tribe that's recorded there. And, you know, the, 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 the terrible verse, you know, at the end of Joshua, and then, it, you know, when, when the elders that outlived Joshua died, you know, the, the, the theme the national theme was every man did that which was right in their own eyes. You know, that whole humanistic idea. And that carried through into judges. And they were just a train wreck. You know, 40 years of bondage. And then they'd get, they'd like, oh, well, we need to straighten up. And then they'd call upon the Lord. And you just got this whole thing of, you know, turning from the Lord, sinning, and then suffering, and then repenting. You know, this little cycle of sin. And finally, it came to, you know, to a head after a few years. And then God uh, raised up a little boy, a prophet, Samuel. And at that time, Eli was quite aged, the, the high priest, and he had two wicked sons that did not know the Lord, and they were unfaithful priests, and they were unfaithful to God. They didn't know the Lord, as I said, Hophni and Phinehas. And during that time, uh, the Philistines were a thorn in their side. The Philistines had iron. They were they were on the cutting edge of technology at that time, and to not to demean, but just to communicate here, the Philistines looked down their noses at the Israelites like they were a bunch of mountain hillbillies. They didn't have they had to they had to come over to the Philistines to get their axes and whatever steel uh, pieces, the swords or whatever sharpened by the Philistines. They just they were just backwards in so many ways they were looked down upon and that's they were a thorn in the side of of the children of Israel. And so it was during this time that the people of Israel cried out for a king. And we know that they got what they asked for. Be careful what you pray for, right? <laughs> and they got a man after the flesh, not after a man who, who saw things on the horizontal plane and didn't see God in it at all. If he saw a man that had talent, he took him to himself. He saw something that he wanted, he took it. He saw spoils, he took it for himself. He wanted a statue and wanted to promote himself, he did it. It was all about him, a self-centered individual. Now, what happened during that 40-year reign was a number of these things. They were uh, disorganized as a nation. They did not prosper as a nation. Notice that he says, "You've, uh, you've cast us off. Where is God? Where, that's what the nation was saying. The psalmist is representing the nation here. You've cast us off. We're ashamed. We go into battle against our enemies and we run. There's no protection for us. We're plundered. We're sheep for food. We're scattered. 
We're, sold, we're, we're enslaved by these people. This doesn't glorify you. You've cast us off and we're a disgrace. Oh, see, this is the position of a backslidden Christian. This is what happens to people who, who forsake the covenant. Oh, they may still be eternally saved. That's not the issue. Let me inject here. This is an important thing. There are many people in the church of Jesus Christ today who, who are banking on the fact that they are part of the elect. I was once saved, so I am always saved. You cannot find that doctrine in the Bible. Election is not equal to salvation. Israel was elect. They were chosen as a nation to be God's nation. They were the nations that served the, the lesser gods, the fallen angels, if you will. And Yahweh separated Abraham unto himself, and Israel was God's nation, God's people. They were elect. Was every Jew that was born from Abraham all the way through saved? Did all Jews, because they were elect, enter into the kingdom? No. In order to be saved, you had to have loyal love and commitment to Yahweh. It is the same in the New Testament. It doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do. Do you have loyal love for Jesus Christ? If you do not have loyal love and are committed to him, then you have reason to question your eternal security. That's enough of that. Understand, this is the problem in the South. This is the problem in our area. There is a form of godliness, but it is denying of the power thereof. I can live any way I want because I accepted Jesus at some point in time, and therefore I'm eternally saved. I'm part of the elect. These people have been mistaught, and they live in error. And there's a self-deception there. It scares me. And I, I'm not going to be very popular for bringing that up, but I'm not going to stop telling it. Because people need to repent. The church, this is why the America is a mess. Because we have people who, who believe they're actually saved and they're not. They're trusting in something else other than what the scripture tells them to, to, to believe in. Your prayer, let me ask you, I hope you had a sincere prayer, but are you walking in fellowship with God every day? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength? That's what counts. It is a personal, intimate relationship. These people, the, the Israelites at this point, have become a disgrace. And unfortunately, for the most part, and we've all had our sins. I'm not passing judgment. God will do that. We, when we sin, we are a disgrace to our Father. We disgrace Him. And this is why Paul said to the church, Let him who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We can't live duplicitous lives and expect our witness to be accepted by the world. We can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church and expect you know, everything to be hunky-dory on all the blessings of God. We're going to talk about revival because this is what needs to happen in the church of Jesus Christ. I'll never stop preaching it until the day I die. We need revival in the church of Jesus Christ. And until we realize what God requires, then we'll continue to be a disgrace. But look at the look at because of their forsaking of the Lord, their unfaithfulness, not God's unfaithfulness. Theirs. They were a reproach, a scorn, a derision, a byword. They became the story. And then the story was what people would laugh at. Ha ha ha, those Jews. Ha ha ha. 
How many people get mocked as Christians? Oh, he's supposed to be a Christian, you know. Doesn't that just grieve your heart when you hear stuff like that? It just, it breaks my heart. And it's a lot of times because people, they're trusting and they have a false sense of security that I can live any way I want and I'm all right with God. That is one of the biggest deceptions. To live your life without the fear of the Lord is to bring a a self-deception upon your life and into your life. And that's not a good place to be. Notice he says there, a shaking of the head, a dishonor, a shame. I mean, I can't, that's why I titled that little section, the disgrace. I mean, the seven things that, that are disgraceful for the believer. And then he says, you know, essentially, they can, he confesses, we're failures. We may have failed, but we didn't forget you. This is, this is why I believe in the mercy of God. I believe that people can be carnal and be Christian. They are, they're like the guy who tries to live right on the edge of the property line. I want to be here on this side where the fruit is, but I, whatever I want on that side of the fence, I want to be able to reach over and grab it. You know, and it's, it's terrible to be a tree that's planted right on the property line. You get beat by both sides. <laughs> Everybody wants your fruit. The world's after you. The Lord wants you. And you're just, you're the most miserable because you're trying to play both sides of the fence. But there's still, when there's still faith there, there's an acknowledgement. Yes, we, I failed. I'm a failure. But I haven't forgotten God. And this is, this is, is this David? When he's out in the, taking care of the sheep. And he's writing these psalms. And he realizes the state of the nation. He goes to war and he sees how the you know, his brothers are at war with the Philistines and they're mocking God, they're mocking the nation. I don't know. But this guy is remembering the covenant and the loyal love that it takes to live in that covenant. And then in, he talks about being broken. The reference of the place of the jackals, that was essentially a place of desolation. And the idea of having a near-death experience, they feel like you're going to die Things are not going well. I mean, can you imagine living in fear for your life daily? This is what happens when you lose the presence of God and the security of God. You live in fear. God does not want his people to live in fear. Only the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence gives us that confidence. The fact is the Spirit of God causes us to be as bold as lions. That is what he does. Verse 20 talks about him searching our hearts, knowing the secrets of our hearts. He knows how vulnerable we are. And this is why I titled tonight, this, the title of the psalm is Yahweh's Mercy. Despite our failures, despite our turning our back and our unfaithfulness to, to God as, you know, as Israel or the church, feeling like we're abandoned and, and the disgraces, that the brokenness, all those things, God still loves us. And he will never, ever stop striving to cause people to come back. In fact, that's really, it's almost like he pulls back, he allows the enemy to come in and buffet, but only so far. And the pain and the sorrow is to cause those who are in pain and sorrow to come. He's not trying to 
kill people. He's not trying to wreck their lives. He's not mad at them. He's just allowing it to happen so that they come. How many of you, you don't have to answer this, but you came to the Lord out of need. I was a rebellious young man, and I came to the Lord out of the need for forgiveness. The guilt, the pain in my life was astronomical. And God allowed all those things to just multiply within my being to the point where I broke. I finally just yielded. We are severely broken. That's what, that's what pain and sorrow are, are, are. Why God allows it. Otherwise, we just go about fishing or playing and doing our little thing. But pain gets our attention. And then, of course, at the end of the psalm here, he, he prays. You know, you know, and for the Lord to wake up, you know, arise, you know, show yourself strong, reveal yourself, Lord. We're still here, even though we are but dust and dirt. <laughs> Redeem us, Lord. And so I, I felt it was important to start with the bad because I don't ever want to end a message on a bad note. And that's bad news to me. Like I said, I didn't really want to read that part, right? <laughs> but it's there. We've got to face it. I like looking at God's track record. We've heard with our ears. Now this is probably, to me, David, if it, indeed this was David's psalm, it is thinking of Joshua. He, you know, when they drove out the enemies and, and they planted uh, Israel in the land, Notice there, he says, your right hand, your arm, your face. Who went before the, the nation? Who had the Lord, the voice, the unseen Yahweh, the voice, said that the angel of the Lord, the physical Yahweh, would lead them? Exodus 23. He would go before them, and he would fight the battles for them. Your right hand, this is a pre-incarnate work of Jesus Christ, essentially. Your arm, notice the light in your countenance, your face, better watch out, better be careful, because the angel's going before you, and if you offend him, he'll whack you. You're gonna, you're gonna, he's, he's holy, my name is in him. Read that, read Psalm, or Exodus 23, many of you are familiar with it. But that's, We've heard with our ears. He's rehearsing God's faithfulness. So when the lesson, if we take nothing else away from this tonight, take this away. When things are not going the way you want them to go, you're suffering trials and tribulation, and, you know, <laughs> you're either in one, you're headed to one, or you're coming out of one. I mean, it's just life. But things aren't as you, though as you prefer them to be. This is a good thing to do is to to remember God's faithfulness. Any time we look back in our lives, we should not look back at the failures. Because Paul says, what does Paul say about that? Forgetting those things that are past, but pressing towards the mark. But we do recollect and we do remember, and it is good to do so, of God's faithfulness. What God has done for us. I mean, count. don't you love the little... Sunday school song, count your blessings, count them one by one. That's what we're talking about here, keeping it simple. Just thank God 
for your job. Thank God for your home. Thank you for all the blessings. You know, just just start going through that list of God's faithfulness. And, and even though you might be in a situation that you do not prefer and, you, and it's egregious to your soul, just remember it's only temporary. You're going to come through it. God is with you. And so this is sort of what the psalmist, I think, uh, has done, although he started out with it. Maybe he was just using it as a hook to grab the attention of the people that were singing the song. I don't know. Oh, hey, this is a good song. And then they get that bad part. Oh, let's go back to the, let's go back to the main stances, right? <laughs> but notice the things he says, you know, the, the, the God's work, and then he acknowledges God as the king. You know what? Saul is a train wreck of an individual, a 40-year train wreck of a, his administration. He's destroyed the country, so self-centered and self-serving. But you are my king. You're the one who gives us the victory. We will push down the Philistines. <laughs> we will trample upon them. And we are not of those who have confidence in the flesh. Notice that's what he says there. They did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arms save them. We as believers, whether you're a children of Israel or whether you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, we do not overcome but by his abiding presence in us. He's, we're, we're living from the place of his victory. He imparts his power. Sunday we're going to talk about some things that, that are vital to live in this revival state that God has provided for us. And it's learning how to deal with sin. It's learning how to deal with Self-confidence and, you know, confidence in, in, in self. You know, notice he says, not in our bow, not in our sword. No, we're going to trust the Lord. You alone are the one who brings salvation. You alone are the one that brings victory over our enemies. And then I love what he says at the end there. We, in God we boast all day long and we praise your name forever. It's a beautiful expression here. I just that I think that's why I lean towards David being the writer. He may not have been, but he is the thing about David. And maybe this is one of the reasons why the Lord called him a man after His own heart was because he was so transparent. When you read through the Psalms and you just see him, just I mean, he just tells you, "I'm going to knock out those teeth of those ungodly people. I'm going to crush them." And where are you at, God? I mean, he, he's, you know, this guy's all over the map <laughs> emotionally. And I think that is a good example and representation of how we are to be before God. And this is all done in the private, right? <laughs> I'm not going to air my dirty laundry in front of you, right? <laughs> Nor are you in front of me. But in the private, in the closet, when we're driving down the, you know, street in our car and we're by ourselves and we're, it's just you and the Lord we, we are one family of God but we all travel alone with God it is you and God you and the Lord one on one thankful we have brothers and sisters but ultimately I have to work everything out with the Lord just between him and I 
Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Whoever wrote this is just in real. He's in touch, Lord, with reality. He knows who he is. He understands his fallenness. And he, more importantly, he understands your mercy and grace, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we'll remember your faithfulness. And we'll take this as a good encouragement and an exhortation to not trust in ourselves, but look to you, Jesus, because you are the right hand. You are the arm of the Lord. You are the you are the light of the world. And it is when you're shining your face upon us, Lord, and looking upon us, Lord, that we walk in victory. Thank you for the reminder tonight, Lord. And so we pray that you'll bless our time of prayer and that you'll bless our evening and give us each, Lord, a, a good night's rest to, to rise healed and refreshed and renewed to serve you again tomorrow, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.